Guelph Politicast. I'm Adam A. Donaldson of Guelph Politico. Today I talked to Dr. Nicola Mercer, who is the Medical Officer of Health for Wellington Dufferin Guelph Public Health. It was at the beginning of March 2020 when Dr. Mercer first appeared on the Guelph Politicast to talk about COVID-19, and at the time it was kind of a philosophical exercise. What would happen if and when COVID-19 came to Canada? A few weeks later, we knew the answer because COVID was here. It spread quickly, and by March the 17th, the city and indeed the world had been shut down. After that, Dr. Mercer became a regular guest on the podcast, stopping by once every quarter to talk about where we were in the first wave, the second wave, and all the way through to the recently completed fifth wave. Or was it the sixth wave? Anyway, through it all, we have arrived at this the final edition of Still COVID, and that is the topic of this week's Guelph Politicast. Funny story, I actually caught COVID in April after the last time we talked to Dr. Mercer, and come to think of it, there were a lot of us who've caught COVID in the last few months. In that time, we've seen a lot of the mandates rolled back, with even holdouts like the University of Guelph announcing that they will be ending their masking mandate on July 1st. Still, mask mandates do remain in place at Guelph General Hospital, and they also remain at most medical settings, which may speak to a current conundrum that we tackle on this week's podcast. Is the pandemic over? Because we're sure acting like it is. I mean, how many masks are you seeing out and about now? Now, you may be thinking that this is summer, and what's the big deal? Because we see COVID rates going down. Well, fair enough. This has been the trend, but This time last year, there were just around 65 active cases of COVID-19 in our area versus the nearly 100 cases that there are right now. And it's worth noting that our testing was much better last summer. So we're not seeing the cases go down as far as we're used to. Is that because we're going maskless now? Is it because the new COVID strains are just so much more potent? Is it because our vaccine potency is waning? Is it all three of those concerns and maybe ones we're not even thinking of? Well, there are now reports that there's a new Omicron variant, BA5, poised to become the next dominant strain, and the vaccine protection is reportedly much weaker in that strain than it has been in the previous strains. So are we walking into potential disaster? And what happens when we start going back inside in the fall and hanging out together maskless? That is one of the questions that we will be putting to Dr. Nicola Mercer on this week's edition of the Guelph Politicast. We will talk to her about whether the pandemic is over and whether we're at a phase in the pandemic where it all depends on where you live. We will also ask if being the only one in the room wearing a mask can really make a difference and whether the government and public health leaders failed on the messaging around masking in the first place. And then we will discuss public health COVID plans for the fall, rolling out the next phases of vaccines, and the best strategy to avoid getting COVID now. And finally, Dr. Mercer will tell you why you don't really need to worry about getting monkeypox, but with some very limited exceptions. And before I press play on the interview, just a word of warning, because the audio quality is sometimes not so great, and I did my best to make it easier to hear, but I am not an audio engineer, so that might fail in places. I do think that the quality is good enough, so you can get the gist of everything that Dr. Mercer is saying, but just so you know, uh, this is not ideal audio conditions. Uh, But there you have it. You've been warned. So I caught up with Dr. Nicola Mercer last week via Zoom. 
Okay, Dr. Nicola Mercer, thank you so much for joining me again. Oh, it's my pleasure as always, Adam. So let me start with, I I think, maybe the most obvious question. Uh, To your mind, are we still in a pandemic? Is, is, are you still treating this as a pandemic? Well, if you look to sort of the definition of what a pandemic is, it's certainly based on just the scientific definition. The pandemic isn't over yet. And that's because it's just based on many countries still having spread of disease. Um, but I think with all things, pandemics sort of wax and wane. Like even uh, as, the, as they are in full swing, you know, there are peaks and there are valleys. And over time, those waxes and waning start to get, the peaks get lower and we're, we're sort of in a lower time for longer. And so sometimes you have to look back and go, hmm, you know what? I think it ended about there, but, it, but really while you're in it, we're, we're certainly heading into a different point, part of the pandemic. Uh, but I think it would still be correct to say, yes, that the pandemic is still ongoing, even though it doesn't feel like it for everyone. As you were talking, I was thinking about it this way. Is it possible in in sort of like future waves of COVID where maybe we're not like maybe us here in Canada aren't in a pandemic, but other places in the world, which maybe aren't as vaccinated as we are, can still technically say they are in a pandemic where we at different spots in the world are in a pandemic or are endemic or, you know, whatever other term you want to use that, you know, maybe going forward, we're this isn't a global pandemic so much as a, a regional pandemic. Well, certainly there is um, that that actually is, is correct. Uh, I would also say, though, that um, we're still on the watch for new variants. I mean, what we've seen very much in uh, throughout COVID is that we've all had to learn a Greek alphabet of things that we've had to uh, to uh, be aware of. And, and I think after Omicron, is it possible that we'll get another one? Yes, it is. I mean, we certainly see that. I think that for most of us, though, as we... Uh, we understand now that vaccines work. They're not perfect, but don't keep you out of hospital. And I think that's really important. And that as we start to think about as vaccine manufacturers, they get better with their vaccines, they're probably going to put in and sprinkle in an increasing number of variants in the vaccine as time goes on. We're getting two this fall as opposed to a single one. And if you actually look at our flu shots now, we have four strains and each time you get a flu shot you get four um, and so I think you'll probably see that as we uh, have COVID shots in the future that we'll have you know a bit more guesswork a bit more science into what's coming down the pipe how do we keep protect people um, and then it's and then it will become something that is seasonal and what we would call endemic is mm-hmm. that we don't have these big surges of cases but every single fall we probably get a bit of increase in uh, COVID uh, for our future moving forward. Right. All right. So we're still in a pandemic. And then you alluded to this. Some people are maybe acting like it's not. Uh, this question was in the Toronto Star. So I'm going to put it to you, um, maybe with uh, a bit of paraphrasing. But if I'm the only person in the grocery store or on the bus or, or wherever wearing a mask and everyone else is sort of mask free, um, am I making a difference for my own protection at that point? Ah, great question. And the answer is yes. So if, but, but a little caveat to it, you have to wear a good mask. Okay. So if you just pulled your, you know, got a scarf around your face or you just pulled your, your, your toque up around your face and the single layer, they're not as protecting. Uh, but if you are wearing a medical mask, if you have an N95, perhaps if you are at risk or you are protecting somebody in your family who's at risk, 
then wearing a mask that fits you well, that you leave on the whole time, that provides a good seal, is multiple layers, ideally a medical mask, um, it does protect you. And you think about it, right? If you think about going into a hospital, uh, nurses and doctors have been wearing masks for you know, hundreds of years. Uh, and so, especially in the last century, we do wear a mask. We wear a mask in the operating room. Why are we doing that? Is to protect ourselves as well as to protect the patients. So there is, it is true that people wear masks to protect others. So if you've got a cold, if you've got symptoms of a cold and you think it's just a cold, um, well, ideally don't go out. But if you do go out, please wear a mask, protect others. Um, and if you're trying to protect yourself, wear a really good well-fitting mask. And uh, this would be important for, in particular, those are seniors. If you are over 80 years of age or over, we see more people in that age group in the hospital are having poor outcomes than any other age group. Makes sense, right? We see that, you know, with flu, with any, a lot of other things. So if you are over the age of 80, um, COVID can still hurt you, even if you've had four shots. Mm -hmm. I've been thinking a lot about this have, you know, granted here in, in our region, you were one of the first, if not the first to, to be on top of the, if you're out in public, wear a mask. And I think that is, that has been to the benefit of, of our region and our relatively low case count over the last couple of years. But I wonder if the messaging on masking has been a bit off in that. I think from a lot of government officials, it's 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 been phrased as wear a mask and we'll get to the end of the pandemic instead of maybe wear a mask and we can get back to close to normal uh, levels of, of interaction because the the mask is uh, easiest basic way to to protect each other. Um, it's it's been sort of phrased as a punishment to the to the pandemic as opposed to a tool to get through the pandemic. Oh, I like that, uh, you know, punishment rather than a tool. Uh, <laughs> as I think about the things that we did well and the things that we didn't do well throughout the pandemic. So at the start of the pandemic, you are correct. I was, the, you know, the first person to put in a, a, a mask order. And I, I did so um, not having actually all the answers. Like I could right. see that where the data was trending, um, but it may sound silly, but we didn't have studies that said, hey, guess what, in this type of uh, virus wearing a mask it protects you protects others so there was a lot of scientific debate very early in the pandemic whether masks work or could they be more harmful so it, it feels funny now and it feels silly but actually we're, we're past that we know that masks do work and they are protecting and especially when everybody's wearing a mask we can see that so that is a really interesting and, and important fact to say that if we're ever in another place again let's not you know, close down when we don't need to. But let's just use a tool that will protect us all so that people can work, so people can go out and play, people can do the things that they that they love and, and need to do in many cases uh, and, and stay safe. So we did learn, though, that, you know, single layer cloth masks aren't as good uh, as, you know, multi-layered medical masks. We learned that. Um, but that was something that we, we had to learn. And I remember back in the beginning of the pandemic, just real supply chain issues. Right. Uh, we couldn't even get enough masks for our long-term care homes. That was just tragic. So it's it wasn't as simple as saying everybody should wear a mask when you go into long-term care home. Workers wear a mask. We didn't have the mask for people to wear. We have lots of masks now, and I think, thank goodness, we have 
you know, companies now, Ontario-based manufacturers who can make these supplies that we need, but we did not have them at the beginning of the pandemic at all. Almost all our supplies came from overseas, in particular China, and they weren't sending them because they needed them. Right. I think it's important to keep in mind that we, we were living through a number of conditions. Number one, we were watching the scientific process happen in real time. Number two, we did have these supply chain issues as well. And uh, number three, we were talking about, you know, shifting societal norms. It, it's, you know, it was kind of, and we've talked about this before. It was weird to see someone wearing a surgical mask outside and we you know, maybe would snicker at that person, like, look at, <laughs> look at this silly person wearing a, a surgical mask outside. And it, it turns out that um, that was that that was the best, the proverbial best medicine um, in, in dealing with COVID. I, I think you said it really well. Uh, all of your, your statements were, were so correct. Um, we were building the plane and flying the plane at the same time. So really, <laughs> from a scientific process, uh, for those of us who are in the science world, it was just like drinking from a fire hose. We were trying so hard to gather as much information all around the world. You know, you know, tens of thousands of, of experts all around the world were trying to learn and provide the best advice. Did we get it wrong sometimes? Yes, I think we did. Um, did we get it right sometimes? Yes. And in fact, I think most of the time we got it right. Um, but we need to learn as we move forward. And I'm sure there'll be lots of reviews and studies to say, well, where did we go wrong? What could we do better? What did we do well? How can we continue to do more of that? How can we take that into the next pandemic, which I really hope is not in my career, uh, <laughs> but should it be? Uh, so um, I think we now have really a lot better tools um, and a greater understanding of what is needed. And thankfully, I think we should never forget, we had vaccines right. for a year that were actually going in people's arms. This would have happened... Um, 20 years earlier, we wouldn't have had those vaccines. We also had virtual tools to be allow many people to work. It didn't work well for a lot of industries. So we have this huge societal cultural shift now with you know online shopping and and you know it's you know the way we pick up our, our stuff now, like grocery pickup, things that would have taken probably decades to been integrated into our society have it's, it's something that I'm sure there will be many people who are smarter than I will write books, <laughs> talk about it, analyze the impact on our economy, our well-being, this whole change. It's, it's just been constant. Yeah. <laughs> One tiny little virus, that's right. Um, looking to where we are right now, um, you know, I was checking the numbers, the new numbers um, were on the, the dashboard yesterday when we were recording this. Um, we're still about 100 cases, you know, give or take. Um, I don't, I, I'm wondering if maybe you could talk me out of this concern, because I, I think by this point, we should in the last couple of years, we've sort of seen lower than that. We've like lower number of cases um, because people are outside, there's less congregating, kids are out of school. Um, is it a bit, I mean, should we a bit, be a bit concerned? I mean, we have the local numbers that are around 100. We're still seeing, you know, 500, 700 new cases every day. Um, 
is is this just a matter of the the changing potency of the virus or um is a lot of this because we've kind of let our guard down or is it a combination of, of factors uh, well i think it is a combination so i think first of all uh, people's behaviors have changed dramatically so uh, people are socializing they're going out they're going to restaurants they're having those social interactions they had stopped doing for a couple of years and they are doing so without masks and sort of really going back to their to their pre-COVID um, behaviors. So that that's one. This virus is absolutely still in our community. And so it is circulating. It's circulating at lower levels. So it's still there. Um, then there's the whole impact of vaccines and what how vaccines played out with this. We know that there are still lots of people who only had two shots. Obviously, there's people who never got vaccinated. But let's just talk about those who've had two shots. Um, people who didn't see the importance of going and having that third dose. So those people are actually vulnerable. Everything that we know and we can see about these vaccines is they don't last forever. Wish they did. Wish that you know. Uh, but right now, I can say that the ones that we, the first round of COVID vaccines are not lasting forever, and they're probably lasting around thirty to forty-five weeks. Mm. Uh, you know, so as we go through the summer, as we get more and more people who have been time since last dose was more than 40 weeks are going to be their susceptibility to the virus is going to start to creep in so what i would anticipate that we're starting to see is yes thank goodness the summer is great and yes we have low rates and the virus is still out there we are going to see people throughout the summer and in particular as time goes on since people got their last shot so a lot of people got their last dose in November or December. Right. They're not eligible for a, a fourth dose yet. Right. So I would fit in that category. You know, I had my shot. I had it in November. Um, as time goes on, I'm not eligible yet for a fourth dose. So at some point, that vaccine and that immunity starts to wane. Um, then if I should come in contact with it, we'll be anticipating September. That's when we're going to start seeing more susceptibility that people have. Uh, go indoors after they've had their outdoor summer. We will see more of this. But I don't want people to be scared. I want people to I want people to say, okay, it's been a long time since I had a shot and going indoors. Maybe I should start to think about maybe uh, having those different kinds of social interactions, maybe wearing a mask, maybe making sure that, that the people I uh, hang out with are healthy, that they don't have any cold-like symptoms. Um, those are the important things to do as we go through time. And there will be a vaccine this fall. I can't tell you yet when the month is going to be. I, I, I kind of secretly hope it's end of August, beginning of September. We'll have that vaccine. I don't know when it's going to be available. But when people are eligible for a dose, go get a dose. It takes like, you know, just take a little bit of time out of your day. You go buy a pharmacy. You're in there anyways. You're buying your shampoo. Get a shot. Right. You're, you're going to see your, your doctor. Hopefully, your doctor will be offering shots uh, wherever you your family doctor is. See if they can give you the shot. Um, you're, you're, if you see a clinic, rest over mall. We have a clinic. It's running. Go get your shot. Try to try to just incorporate into the health things that we do. We all go to the dentist. We all hopefully have our eyes checked. We you know, take our animal to the vet. Think about this as your health check up and right. stay healthy just go so in in terms of acting smarter as as you said um and, and preparing in advance um i 
am I to understand that public health has plans um, in the fall to sort of get these boosters out? I mean, you, you, you're kind of in the slings and arrows of the, the advice from the federal health agency and the provincial health agency, but are, are there plans in the works um, to, you know, get those clinics up and going again and to get that, you know, the social media campaigns up and going again around September when, you know, we're, we're going to need that booster again. <laughs> yeah, and we're anticipating, you know, hopefully our clinics will offer flu shots and COVID shots at the same. So I think, unfortunately, it won't be in the same needle. Um, so there might be, uh, you know, two needles. But as we uh, learn more, as these vaccines are approved and are rolled out to the provinces, and the province will then send it to public health agencies, absolutely what will happen. I can't tell you the exact timing yet because I, I haven't heard, but I know at some point this fall, and we're hoping sooner rather than later we will have the new vaccines and we will be able to say hey you're eligible come get it and, and we know that some people go right away it's always a bit of a rush the first week mm-hmm. people will give it to me yesterday approach but then there's always after that there's always you know lots of opportunities for people to get their dose so that's why i'm trying to encourage people to make it part of a regular routine thing that you do you know if, if you're if you're very vulnerable and you want to make an appointment and go at the front of the queue, you know, get to the front line, that, that's a good thing too. But for those of you who are, well, I'll get it when I get it, just make a point of putting it in your, your mental wallet that when you're in a, a, when you're in a grocery store that has a pharmacy, when you're in a pharmacy, uh, you'll go get your shot. Mm-hmm. I asked you about this last time we talked, and I, I think it's probably going to be even more prevalent prevalent when we get to the fall but you know we had pretty good uptake on the first and second shots oh like here in wellington Dufferin Guelph, well over 90 percent got their first or second shots around 60 percent got their third shot what happens with the community spread if like that number continues to go down and you're saying like doors open for the fourth shot anyone who has gotten their their previous shots can now go get the fourth shot what happens if that you know we tap out at 40 45 percent of coverage for that fourth shot how does that affect our community health yeah, that's, that's, that's could be um, i think people are just sick of COVID. i don't want to <laughs> I, right. I, I did my duty i got my two shots um i'm asking people to do it for themselves like who wants to get sick mm. want to travel um, uh, there's lots of things in people's lives that are important do you really want to get COVID? you know three days before your daughter's wedding you know two days before you're going on a trip um, before that, you know, that big party that you've been looking forward to, that vacation that you want to go to, the, the, you know, that big presentation at work even. And, you know, there's all, COVID can be extremely inconvenient. Mm-hmm. Having to self-isolate and or feel sick or worse, end up very sick. Uh, so don't don't let it control you. Something about it controls it. Just don't get a shot. It doesn't, I have to say, it doesn't guarantee that you won't get it. But most, but it certainly helps for you not to get it. But one of the things it really does is that if you do get it by chance, is it it helps you to not be as sick. And so I think that for most people, we don't want to get sick. So right. lots of people get their flu shot, lots of people don't. I just encourage people to, you know, these are kind of healthy health behaviors that we can all do that are safe and that keep us all, um, you know, keep us all from a from having that inconvenience of having COVID at the worst possible time. Mm. My daughter, my daughter graduated uh, 
last week, I, I was being really careful for the, the week or so before she graduated. I didn't want to get COVID. I, want, I didn't want to miss a graduation. Yeah. I wanted to be there. And I think that for a lot of people, and hey, if you're pregnant, your wife's pregnant, you know, you want to be there. So you be careful so that it, COVID doesn't become, you know, just impact. You can't do it if you're, if you're not careful. I wonder if that's better messaging, like don't let COVID inconvenience your life since we're now back to life. It, it just, it, maybe that might strike a chord with people well, more. It's robbed us of so much already. Yeah. Time and events. And, and I mean, COVID has been a huge negative impact on so many people. We've all negatively impacted. Let's just not let us impact us anymore. And by that, it doesn't mean going out and just forgetting about it and doing everything you want. It means just take a little bit of control. And the yeah. one thing that we all can control is getting the, the vaccine. And there's lots of them out there. If you're not a fan of the mRNA vaccines, well, we have others. We have the Novavax vaccine. And mm-hmm. so you, you can come and get that one as well. So it's, you know, we have a, a variety of flavors now of vaccines uh, to, suit, uh, to suit different types of uh, people and their concerns. Uh, but obviously, uh, the mRNA vaccines are, are really uh, cutting leading edge. They're, they're, they're just vaccines. And now we're looking at um, using MR, mRNA, which I, ga- I gather was always the intention was to, to try and use it for other treatments as well. But they're, they're looking at MR, mRNA as a viable treatment in, in other diseases, like even cancer. Well, it is a, it's certainly very fast technology. And I do think that there will come a, a day when you know, people get vaccinated as a cure for some of their some of the things that yell them, and that is a really amazing concept if you think about it. If we mm. treat, you know, maybe chemotherapy, biological therapy with vaccines, but not there yet. Mm. Um, but certainly, I think for those uh, uh, younger people and children right now, that things are going to change dramatically over the next uh, 20, 30 years into how mm. treat disease. Mm. It's interesting. Um, I had COVID in April. Uh, not to brag, but um, for people who are maybe worried about long COVID, and uh, I mean, I had a I had a cough that had a half life of about three days, so um, <laughs> it took a while to get over that. But for people who may have gotten COVID, they have that cough they can't get rid of. They still feel that listlessness, that tiredness. At what point should people be concerned that they're they're being affected by long COVID? Well, really, the definition of long COVID is, is really symptoms um, that are still present uh, 30 days after you uh, had the original illness. So, so if you meet that definition, you possibly do. And we do know that it's present. We, thankfully, we can see with Omicron that the percentage of people who have long COVID with Omicron was lower than the Delta. So different variants appear to have different uh, percentages of people who experience long COVID. But I think the latest numbers I saw was about 6% of people who uh, end up with uh, symptoms of long COVID. Um, and if you're one of them, it, it can be, uh, it can definitely impact you. What we can tell those, for many of those people, though, it, the symptoms will last up to about three months. And others, they can last longer. But most people, the symptoms do seem to decline over time. Um, but right now, we're still learning a lot about this. I mean, it's not uh, something that we have all for long COVID. And there are who are looking at this. There will be clinics in the future to really specialize in the treatment of long COVID symptoms. 
the number one thing is you are still experiencing symptoms more than 30 days since you had uh, a diagnosis of, of COVID. You perhaps should see your family physician. Uh, and I say that because uh, you might have something else. Mm. So, uh, so it's really important to rule out something else that is going on and perspective uh, before you put down your symptoms to walk is that one of those things like where maybe you you come down with a cold and you can't shake it because your immune immune system's compromised that you know it, it devolves into like full-blown pneumonia so it, it's not the same as a cold but because you had the cold you're then susceptible to this other thing is is you know so maybe you get covid and then maybe you're susceptible to to something else is am i am i medic am i am i doctoring this right <laughs> I think that long COVID is a, is a true effect from the actual virus. So it's not another virus acting you. Though, of course, that is theoretically possible. But long COVID itself is actually the, this virus uh, in your system actually continuing to impact you negatively. And so you haven't cleared the virus. You haven't cleared the impacts of the virus. And so so it is a, it's, a real, it's a real phenomenon. Um, and that is actually occurring and something that uh, we are continuing to study as, as, as science professionals to understand more about it. Like, why does it occur in some people and not in others? Right. Um, and some people, months and months later, they still don't have their smell and taste back. Right. And other people. Right. Maybe to wrap up, I want to focus on. <laughs> I was going to say focus on the next pandemic, but I won't say that. Um, but the monkeypox uh, phenomenon, we do know we've had a case of monkeypox in the region. Um, I know that uh, Dr. Tannenbaum and his statement said, you know, we don't need any the, the public to take any action right now. It's, um, you know, it, it, it's not like COVID, in other words. Um, but to hear it from you, um, should we be concerned about uh, monkeypox? I mean, it sounds scary, so maybe that's why maybe people are, are taking that a little bit more seriously at the moment. But I mean, just just as a general sort of, if I'm just going out and about and going about my business, like going to the store, going to uh, work, you know, should I be worried about monkeypox? Uh, well, the short answer is no. Um, that you know, just being a person in in your regular day to day life. Uh, like you said, going grocery shopping. Monkeypox is not something that you should be worried about. But I think the things that people need to know about monkeypox is um, it's a zoonotic disease, same as COVID, which means that it can go from animals to humans. So humans are kind of incidental hosts. Uh, we weren't really meant to have uh, COVID or, or monkeypox. It was meant to circulate amongst other uh, mammals and humans are sort of what we call incidental hosts and we got in the way. With monkeypox specifically, it is very different from COVID. Okay, this is not the same uh, virus. It's in the pox family, in which um, smallpox would be in that particular family, though it is not smallpox. Uh, and so I just want to be really clear about that. But the because it's in a, it's a totally different gene, it's a totally different virus. Uh, and but for people who are having close, intimate contact, often sexual contact or very close contact with others are at risk. So this is not something casual contact, just talking to somebody, having, you know, coffee, 
it's it's not that kind of virus. It really does require a lot more intimacy and a lot more contact with the um, uh, the, the infected material, which comes from the pox, either mm-hmm. the clothing they wear, the linens they have, or direct skin-to-skin contact. So, it is it, if you are in that category where you that where you think you've been in contact with somebody who has monkeypox or you could have had monkeypox, um, it, then that is very different. But most people are not are not in that category. Right. So, like the contact tracing for for something like monkeypox, like this this individual who we know in Guelph uh, contracted it. You know, that's that's a much shorter list than if you were to do like in the early days contact tracing if someone was at the library, for example. Right. And so we we are. And so we're people listening that public health. If we have a case, public health knows about the case and will reach out to all to ensure that we offer the vaccine. And that's also the difference between monkeypox and COVID. Now, we, we hear about this disease and it sounds really scary, the name monkeypox, but uh, we have had monkeypox outbreaks in North America before. This is not the first one. And so and I'm sure it won't be the last one. We do have a vaccine that's approved for its use. And we do have a treatment, an antiviral treatment already. So we're starting in a very different place than what we did with COVID. We know a lot more about this disease. We don't know everything, but we're still learning. But we do know a lot more about monkeypox than we do about COVID when it first started. And we know what we need to do to control this particular disease. So it's it's really, a, they're very different. Um, but for the average person listening, I wouldn't be um, thinking that you're going to be offered a monkeypox vaccine anytime soon. Okay. <laughs> Good to know. Um, I guess we'll leave it there. Um, leave it on a high note. But uh, Dr. Mercer, uh, you you will probably stand forever as the most frequent guest on the Guelph Politicast, all thanks to COVID-19. Um, so I, I imagine we will get a chance to chat about something else in the future, hopefully not COVID. But I, I appreciate like the last couple of years, your, your frequent uh, guest appearances on the podcast and uh, all your expertise and all, frankly, all your time, given uh, it's been a, at a premium the last two and a half years. So thank you for all that. And, and thank you for, for appearing on this episode. It's very appreciated. Oh, you're the most welcome, Adam, and it's it's been a pleasure, and uh, it would it would be nice to be kind of political about something that has absolutely nothing to do with COVID. We'll we'll see what we can do. <laughs> And once again, that was Dr. Nicola Mercer. You can stay up to date with all the latest information concerning the pandemic and COVID-19, as well as the now weekly case counts at the public health website, wdgpublichealth.ca. And that is it for this edition of the Guelph Politicast. The music for the Guelph Politicast comes from KPM Classics and Sid Dale. The Guelph Politicast is usually recorded at CFRU, Guelph Campus and Community Radio, out of the University of Guelph. And to learn more about CFRU, go to cfru.ca. You can download the Guelph Politicast every Wednesday from Apple, Stitcher, Google, TuneIn, and Spotify. And when you subscribe to the Guelph Politicast channel, you will get an episode of Open Sources Guelph on Mondays and an episode of End Credits on Fridays. You can follow Guelph Politico on social media at Politico Guelph on Twitter and at Politico Guelph on Facebook. You can follow me personally at Adam A. Donaldson on Twitter and Instagram or send me an email at adamadonaldson at gmail.com if you would like to help financially support the work of Guelph Politico. You can get all that information at guelphpolitico.ca slash donate. And finally, for all the latest local political news, check out guelphpolitico.ca, where we will have a new episode of the Guelph Politicast for you 
next week. And until then, we will see you next time. Thank <laughs> you.